In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah says this, a vision that he had. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, which we have no idea what that is. The word means the burning ones. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple, this is the temple in heaven, and the temple was filled with smoke. We're fo focusing, uh, we're, we're thinking about this whole vision, but we're focusing on these words that the seraphim speak. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And be aware that this is a visionary experience. So God is a spirit. You can't actually see God. Isaiah was given this visionary experience of God and the holiness of God. This is not what God looks like. God is a spirit. But this vision was communicating to Isaiah and to all. And then this word was recorded and communicated to all God's people before and after Christ uh, for us to receive this vision as well in these words and to hear uh, and to be communicated to us uh, who God is and what God is. Holy, holy, holy. The word holy, first of all, means separate or completely different from everything else. Completely different. This one who is holy is completely different, completely distinct, completely of a different quality than everything else that exists. That's the that's when we're speaking of God, that's, the, that's the, the first idea of what holy is. But it's, that's not just that. That's the beginning. That's, that, that's very important that we're talking about something on a level that is completely different from all other, all other, uh, all of cre everything that is made. Because there's God and everything that is made, right? And everything else, including the seraphim, come from God. God was the creator of all. But so holy means completely different, but it doesn't just mean completely different. It doesn't leave us without any content. Different how? Different how? He is different in the sense of his absolute moral purity. Absolute moral purity. Complete goodness. Infinite goodness. Infinite moral purity. Not a shade of any darkness, any evil, anything wicked, anything that, that, is, that is less than. He is unchangeable for all eternity, absolute goodness, holiness, 
moral purity. That's who God is. That's the one that we speak about so, so easily and refer to so easily, the one who is the source of all, but the one who is goodness itself, righteousness itself, holy, moral purity. Stephen Charnock, who's a, a writer from many hundreds of years ago, said this about God's holiness. It is a contradiction for him to be God and to have any darkness mixed with his light. To deny his purity makes him no God. He that says God is not holy speaks much worse than if he said there's no God at all. Power is his hand, omniscience his eye, mercy his heart, eternity his duration, but holiness his beauty. Holiness is his beauty. The goodness of God, absolute moral purity, that's his beauty. That's the glory. That's the, the, the glory is the shining forth of that holiness and that moral purity. It renders him lovely and gives beauty to all of his attributes. So everything about God is holy. All of his attributes, all the attributes we can talk about, they're, those are, they're all holy. Um, uh, every action of his is free from all hints of evil. Holiness is the crown of all of his attributes, the life of all his decrees, and the brightness of all of his actions. Nothing is decreed by him, and nothing is acted by him that is not consistent with the beauty of his holiness. His holiness. As it is the glory of the Godhead, so it is, this is Charnock continued a little bit more, As it is the glory of the Godhead, so it is the glory of every perfection in the Godhead. Godhead meaning Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As his power is the strength of him, so his holiness is the beauty of them. As all would be weak without almightiness to back them, so all would be uncomely without holiness to adorn them. The holiness of God, the beauty of his absolute moral purity. We live in a world, we talk to people every day, we go to work, we, we, we go to school, we, we shop in stores, we, we interact with people, we turn on the television, we read magazines, we read books, we talk with our family, and so much of the time, not, none of the people that we're talking to, including ourselves, are, have any sense or any vision of God of this holy one. We, we, have, we, have, uh, we have ideas about um, uh, our minds and hearts are full of what? Our minds and hearts are full of the achievements of human beings, the excellencies of certain human beings, the qualities of certain human beings, um, the excellencies and achievements of culture, the beauty thing, beautiful things about culture, even the beautiful things about creation. And yet many of our hearts are completely empty of, of a vision of the beauty of God behind the source of all of this beauty in the world, the one who is the absolute pure beauty without any darkness, without any shadow, without any evil at all. Many of the people that we we talk, you know, the television programs we watch, the the media we interact with, we're we're interacting with people, and we have to keep this in mind. People who have no sense of the transcendent 
have no sense of a holiness that is, that is separate from everything else in the world and, 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 and a purity that is, that is different from anything that we've ever known. They have no sense of it at all. There's no feeling for it, no sense of it. And so when we're talking, we're talking in a sense of unreality. We're talking a lot of the times without any sense of reality, of what's real. We're talking about things that, you know, things that are real, but we're missing the, es- the essential, real one, God the source of it all, the one who is behind it all. They don't have any sense of the higher. And sometimes all, the, all those interactions with the world and all the t- people that we're talking to and all the things that we're watching and all the things that we're reading, it's just like fog pouring in into our minds and hearts. And we ourselves, we who are supposed to be you know, people of the word, we lose track of this vision of God. We don't have this vision of God. Even though it's there, presented to us in the Bible, and by the work of the Holy Spirit can be our vision as well, um, we lose track of it. We don't have it anymore. And we live our lives sometimes without that vision of God, vision of God who is at the holiness. I, I, my, my house, my home, is at the foot of Lookout Mountain. And um, my front porch, you can walk out of my front porch and you can look up at Lookout Mountain. I'm right at the foot. You can just look right out at it and see the mountain. But there are many, many days that go by that I never saw Lookout Mountain once. All I have to do is walk out the front door and look up and see, and see Lookout Mountain. It's right there. But there are many days I don't see it at all. I never see it once. Uh, and sometimes that's because of fog. Sometimes fog comes in, as we know, and obscures the entire mountain. And even if I went outside and peered, I wouldn't see it. But there are other days it's because I stay in the house all day and I keep busy with things in the house. And even when I go out to my car and go somewhere, I don't look up. And I just never look up. And so I never see the mountain. And a week can go by and suddenly, I, a month can go by and suddenly I'm caught off guard by, oh, wow. <laughs> look out. Look out mountain is right there, right before me. This is the way, as Christians, sometimes we live in the world. We, we are looking at the things around us. We're looking at that. We're talking to people who have no sense of God, and we are losing our sense of, of God. The, we're losing sense of the throne room of God and who sits on the throne, the exalted one, the one who is holy, holy, holy. We lose our vision of God. I want to say four things pretty quickly here and then, and then end on a different note. Number one, the beauty of God's holiness will evoke from you reverence and praise. Will evoke from you reverence and praise. When you're reading the Word of God, whether it's Isaiah 6 or it's another Scripture text that focuses in on God, don't skip over all the texts that just start saying, this is your God. I know, I know the way we are. We're practical Protestants, and we're looking for the practical verses. We're looking for the verses that are going to help us Help us with this little problem with our money or with this or with that or with our, you know, we're trying to find the practical tips, the life tips. The best thing in the Bible that you need is the things that tells you this is your God. Remember him. He is holy, holy, holy. He is, he is at the heart of everything. He is there, he, and, and he's right at your elbow. He's right here with you at all times. He is ever-present. And he is holy, 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 holy. This is your God. Lift up your, lift up your, your head. Look up to the hills. Look, look up to God. Look up to see 
your God. The Scriptures and the Holy Spirit, we can only do that through the, through the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the sacrament um, and singing the praises of God. Uh, as I've said before, join in to the praises of God um, with the seraphim. You know, we, say, we believe that when we're, the church is here on earth, the church uh, militant, and I won't get into what that means. It doesn't mean we're fighting with weapons. Um, it means we're, we're in a struggle when we say the church, the church triumphant in heaven, the church militant here. It means we're still in the mud and the trenches and the blood and the pain and the sorrow, and that's who we are here. But the church the church on earth and the church in heaven and the seraphim and the, and the court of heaven. We are all worshiping God together. We are all praising together. Do you join your voice? Do you join your heart with the seraphim? Is holy, holy, holy the cry of your heart? Have you seen him? Have you from the word and by the work of the spirit within, have you, do you know this one? Do you see what the word is saying about him? Do you see what the word is showing you about him? You see what the word, do you, do you hear what the word is telling you? This vision of God, the beauty of God's holiness, when you've seen it, when you've seen it, even just seen a little bit of it, it will evoke in you reverence, deep reverence. Notice the reverence of they cover, the seraphim cover their eyes and cover their feet. We have no idea why they cover their feet. I think I've read about 25 guesses on why they cover their feet. Um, but clearly it's, a re- it's some kind of sign of reverence, at least. It's a sign of these, these, these burning ones, these fiery ones, these ones, these, these spiritual beings that God created, we have no idea what they are or, or what they, you know, how, how this works um, and what they do and all this stuff. But here they are mentioned just once here in Isaiah. And they, um, and they before the Holy One, cover their eyes, cover their faces, and cover their feet. Do we understand who we're dealing with? Do we understand who this God is that the seraphim have such deep reverence for him and such, uh, such profound praise and worship of him. So the beauty of God's holiness will evoke from you reverence and praise. It's something to be sought. It's something to be looking in the Scriptures. Where can I find in the Scriptures where it will tell me about my God and will move my heart, help me to see, have a clearer vision of him and move my heart to reverence and praise? Because when you're there, you're, you're at the heart of the matter. When you're there, you're at the heart of the matter. When you're praising, when you're revering him, when you're, when you're adoring him, there's the heart. Everything else will flow out, and that's not all of the Christian life, but everything else will flow out of that, 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 that reverence and, and that praise. The second thing I want to say is the beauty of God's holiness will evoke from you humility and clarity. Humility and clarity. What do I mean by that? I mean when you have a vision of the holiness of God, you will see yourself much better than you had seen yourself the moment before. We get strange, grandiose ideas about ourselves. We get strange, grandiose ideas about the other human beings around us. We think, wow, this person's this and this person's this. I'm this, I'm that. I've achieved this, I've achieved the other thing. One of the response, not only is there a response of adoration and love for, the whole, of, for God, as the seraphim responded, a response of praise, a response of reverence, but when you know that you've, you have, you've caught a vision of God when you feel that you have been reduced to uh, 
down, not, not hated, not rejected, not thought of as worthless. You're not being rejected by God, but you have seen your stature before him. You, and, and you're quite satisfied with that. You're quite, you know, that's quite fine. You understand now who, who you are before God. You see God and you recognize yourself. You see, when you've, when you've seen God, you begin to see yourself differently. You begin to see yourself and the world around you with clarity. You begin to see much better what is really going on. Um, the vision um, does not make you proud. You know, some people say, well, if people had visions of God, they'd be proud about it. No. When you have visions of God, you're not arrogant about your visions. When you have visions of God, you have been humbled by them. You have seen things clearly now. You've seen where you really stand. You've seen the depth of your own sin. You've seen the depth of your own weaknesses. You've seen where, and you've seen where you really stand in, 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 um, in connection with God. Um, you're a Christian. I'm not saying you're not saved. We're going to get to that. But, you, but certainly you still see, um, see something about yourself. And how does Isaiah respond? We see that in verse 5. Look at verse 5. Isaiah's response is, Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm undone. I'm on my face. I'm, I'm completely dismayed. Remember Ezekiel sat there wordless for day after day after day after he saw the glory of God, and he just sat there stupefied by what he had seen. Well, Isaiah says, I am ruined. And then he says, why is he ruined? He says, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I've, before God, I, I see now my problems. Now that I've seen the holiness of God, I see my own problems, my own issues, and I see the problems of everybody else. I see all of our sin, and we're all in this together before God. We're all sinners before God. We're people of unclean lips we're people who our hearts are filled with unclean thoughts. We have all sorts of wrong, things that are wrong in us, and we recognize that in a way that we never could, you know, all of us are Christians, and all of us that are Christians would say, I'm a sinner, and we'd say that very quickly, but there's a difference between saying, I am a sinner, and having a vision of the, of the transcendent and holy God and his moral purity and responding and, and, then, and seeing yourself with clarity, seeing yourself. You know, the humility and honesty are just, just the same thing. Clarity, honesty, and humility are the same thing. When you're speaking honestly and with complete clarity, you're speaking humbly. If you see, if you see the reality, you see what's, what's really true. Um, and Isaiah's response is, woe to me. I am ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I'm a man of unclean lips. So the beauty of God's holiness will evoke from you humility and clarity. That's why this is so important um, to, to, be, to, be, to, to be seeing a vision of, of the beauty of God's holiness. Um, I'm going to say one, one other thing before I move on, and this may seem a little bit out of order, but I'm saving something for last, and I'll come back to it. The, the third thing I'm going to say is this, that the beauty of God's holiness will evoke from you desire to be holy. Now, these things may all sound, well, this is strange. How can I be, have this humble view of myself but then have a desire? Because if you see it as the beauty of holiness, you, you think to yourself, the excellency that I want, the value that I want, the beauty that I want as a human being, what I really want, what I really want above all else is this holiness that I see in God, this moral purity, this purity of love and this purity of, 
of, of, you know, what the fruit of the Spirit describe and everything that the Bible teaches us how we are to be, all those things are different ways of the different aspects of holiness. Holiness is not wearing dresses down to here. Holiness is not never touching, letting tobacco touch your lips. That's, those aren't holiness. Holiness is what God teaches us, God's commandments. Um, Holiness is, is, is the love that God teaches and the kindness and the mercy that God teaches us, the way he teaches us to live. That's holiness. And the beauty of God's holiness will evoke from you your uh, desire to be holy. You will long to be holy like Christ. Long to be holy like Christ. And the promises of Scripture is that God, this is exactly what God is going to do. God will make us like the Holy One. Jesus Christ is the Holy One, and God's promise, when He saves you, His promise to you is, I am going to make you like my Son, Jesus. That doesn't mean divine. That doesn't mean that you will be the, the Son of God, you know, have divinity. But He means, I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you whole. That's what I'm going to do. Listen to these promises from Scripture. Beloved, John says in 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now. We're already God's children. We're already God's children. And what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, that's the second coming, that's the return, we shall be like him. We shall be like him. Is that a desire of you? If you see holiness, if you get a vision of God's holiness, it will draw your heart to want to be holy, to, to share in that holiness to the degree that a human being can. And this is exactly what's promised in the Scripture. This is exactly part of the gospel promise that he will make you holy when Christ returns. He's making you holy. We're going to talk about that in a second. But he will make the promise, the final promises, that one day the holiness of Christ will be fully yours. You will be as holy as as a human being can be. Share in. Now, you won't have divine holiness, which is infinite, infinite holiness, but you will have human holiness. Um, you will be like Christ. Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Do you understand that? That, that holiness of that one on the throne, the holiness of Jesus Christ, will one day be yours. Do you understand what you've been promised? <laughs> not only to, to, to be with him, the Holy One, and to, and, to, and to share in that beatific vision, which I'm not going to get into today, but, but you will one day get to see the I just sort of talked about it a week or two ago. You will get to see the holiness and experience the holiness on a level you never have before. But part of what will happen with that is you will be holy. Your impurities will be washed away. Does, do you long for that with everything in your heart to have your dirt and your darkness washed away, cleaned away? By the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus, by his work. This is what he's going to do. He's promised it to you. He's promised that that's what he's going to do. These, by the way, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him in all of his glory and in all of his holiness. One other promise of this, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Now, have you heard this promise before? Let's connect it now with the next verse and what, what he's talking about when he says the good. Sometimes we might interpret that and be like the good, meaning, the good as we define it. <laughs> I know everything's going to work out for my good, and what we're thinking is the good that I've got, I've got planned, the good that I want, the good that I'm thinking about. But, but what, is God's, what does God mean by good? Listen to what he says. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. So what is the good? For those God, for, God foreknew, 
He also predestined. And what did he predestine us to be? To be conformed to the image of his son. Wow. To share in the holiness of Jesus Christ himself. To be conformed. And he's going to do this. This is his promise to us. Something that we can never achieve. That's not something you can do. That's something that only God can do. By the, by, by, by the, by, by the merit of his sacrifice, Christ's sacrifice and the work of that Holy Spirit. That he might be, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He's the first holy human, but then many holy humans will follow uh, in his wake because of his salvation. But, But don't forget this too. Let me say one other thing before I get to my last idea here is. He has already begun to make us holy. So far, I've been talking about what his promises is for the day that Jesus returns, his promises to make us like Christ. But he also says in other places that he's already at work on that. We could go to different places and talk about it, but he's already begun the work. He's already renovating you. He's already doing some renovation. He's already working on you. He's already changing you um, to make you more and more what he would have you to be. And so you're already participating. There's already a call to you. Remember Peter, uh, quoting Leviticus, says, be holy as he is holy. There's already a call upon us to be holy, and there's a promise that he will begin. He's, gonna, he's doing that work in us. Um, one, of my favorite, one of my favorite verses um, I'll read it for you, that, that makes this statement, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, meaning Christians, we all with unveiled faces, we contemplate the Lord's glory. The Lord's glory. We contemplate the Lord Jesus' glory. We see his holiness. We see his purity. We see his be- the beauty of his holiness. We contemplate that. We look upon that. Th- th- we have a vision of it. Notice Paul speaking of Christians as if we have a vision of Jesus. We're living in this life, in this age, in this time, with a vision of Jesus by the work. And he, later on, he says that this is by the work of the Holy Spirit. So remember that. But we have a vision of Jesus Christ. And what happens as you day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, live as a Christian, and you live contemplating, staring at the vision of Jesus Christ and his holiness and his glory and keeping your heart and your mind on him and coming back in the scriptures again and again and with the work of the Holy Spirit, looking at Jesus, looking at Jesus, getting my eyes back on Jesus, looking at Jesus. What happens if you do that year after year after year after year? You are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Wow. It's already started. It's already started. The good news is already at work among us. He's already begun this. You may say, I've got so far to go. Of course you do. But it's started. He's doing it. Keep your eyes on Jesus, the vision of the one on the throne, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Stare at his glory. The vision of his glory is what's going to change you. Isn't that strange? It's, not, um, it's this image of looking at something and becoming like it like you're looking at it. That's not what happens in, in real life. You know, that's not, that's not, I mean, what I mean, that's not what happens in like, I don't look at that bread and stare at that bread and I become weedier, you know. I, that's not the way it works. But the idea here is that that is the way it works with Jesus. Someone cannot look at the glory of God and the glory of Jesus who's been forgiven of their sins and is a, is a Christian himself, can't look at the glory of Jesus and not be changed and not, be, and not go from glory to glory to glory to glory, ever-increasing glory.
Now, I, this may seem strange and way out of order, but I saved it for the last because I want you to, to, to remember this. Verse 6. So remember, remember Isaiah's response. We're back in Isaiah. Remember Isaiah's response. Uh, he said, woe to me, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Everything in my life, everything around me is keeping my mind and heart and pulling me away from you, God. The people around me, me, myself, my own heart is pulling me down and pulling me away from you and pulling me, I, I'm, I'm unclean. And then this is the response. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. This is the altar in heaven. You know what the sacrifice in heaven is? Jesus' death on the cross. The sacrifice in the temple of heaven, on the altar of heaven, the sacrifice for all of his people was the final full sacrifice that Josh read about this morning. It is the sacrifice of what Christ has done for us, and we are only uh, we, we, we own, this, is, this is how we are redeemed. This is how we are, we are purified. Um, let me finish it. Uh, with it. With that coal from the altar in heaven, he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. So remember how this, the vision of holiness gives us this reality check where we see all of our sins, but also remember this, how this vision ends. Your sins are atoned for. Jesus has atoned for your sins. The, 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 your guilt has been taken away. You, like Isaiah, Isaiah notice Isaiah sitting there, and Isaiah is just saying, woe is me, I'm a sinner, Lord. And God does it. He sends the seraphim, and the seraphim cleanses him. The seraphim atones for, the seraphim uh, brings the, from the sacrifice, from the altar, and, it, and his sin is atoned for, his guilt is taken away. God does it on God's initiative. You, like Isaiah, have been cleansed by the grace of God. God acted on his initiative to cleanse you, to cleanse you. Before this holiness of God, um, all of our guilt has been removed. All of our sin has been atoned for. You were cleansed by the sacrifice from God's altar in heaven, the cross of Christ. But get this, the beauty of God's holiness has cleansed us. What do I mean by that? The beauty of God's holiness has cleansed us. Jesus Christ was the Holy One. He offered himself up as the Holy One on our behalf. He is our holiness, we're told by Paul. Christ is our holiness. He offered himself in our place when we are unholy, when we were unclean. He offered himself in our place as the Holy One on our behalf. It is only through the Holy One that you are cleansed. It is because he is holy that you can be cleansed of your sins, forgiven of all your sins, and that your future can be what we already described, which is to be transformed fully into the holiness of God. The beauty of God's holiness has cleansed us. The perfect holy sacrifice was made for us, Jesus Christ, the Holy One. Josh read this this morning. Did you catch it when Josh was reading it this morning? Hebrews 7, 26, such a high priest, Jesus, truly meets our need. Such a high priest, a high priest like Jesus, not an earthly high priest, not a sinful human being which all the other priests had been and the high priests had been, but such a high priest truly meets our need because why? One who is holy, blameless, pure. Listen to this description of Jesus Christ. Set apart from sinners 
exalted above the heavens. <laughs> Did you hear that? Just like the one on the throne, the Lord on the throne, Jesus Christ. This is the one, that holy one, that one exalted above the heavens, that one set up, that transcendent one, that set apart from sinners, that pure one, absolute moral purity. He offered himself on your behalf in all of your uncleanness, in all of your darkness, in all the shadows and evil that was in you. He offered himself as the pure one, the holy one for you, on your behalf, in your stead, in your place. And you were saved. You were saved by your, your sin was removed from you. And when God removes your sin uh, by, from the altar in heaven, it is removed. It is gone. It is gone forever. It has been atoned for. Um, unlike uh, the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. Jesus does not continue to offer sacrifices. Communion is not a sacrifice. It's a, it, we, are, we are looking to the sacrifice that already took place. Um, uh, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. No, no. Jesus, he sacrificed for their sins on Calvary, on the cross, he sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. The Holy One offered himself for you and for me. And you are cleansed because of his holiness and because of his sacrifice. You've been cleansed. You've been cleansed. And so your future is just what I, I know I did it in reverse order. You're supposed to go, uh, you're supposed to build up to glorification, but I, and I flipped it. I flipped it. I flipped the script. But um, but this is where, but, but this is why we can now get to glorification. This is why we can get to that day. We are heading to that day. It's not up to you. It's promised to you that you will be like him. 